Welcome to the healing art of being you. On this episode, you will meet Jean Spadaccini, an integrative women's health specialist and wellness coach who is dedicated to helping her clients achieve peace and a better quality of life. Through her business, Inner Wisdom Wellness, Jean uses groundbreaking techniques to gently guide her patients towards releasing negative energy that is often passed down from ancestors and stored in fascia, manifesting painfully and disrupting the flow and function of our bodies. Throughout this interview, she educates and inspires us to remember we are truly never alone and shares with us some remarkable testimonies of transformation that prove the undeniable power of this beautiful heart-centered therapy. Here are your hosts, Allison Ingley and Chelsea Dameron. Jean, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you. So, so thrilled. Um, if you wouldn't mind giving us just a little bit of a, a bio, you know, who you are, how you came to be, what your passions are, and what work you do. Yeah, boy, let's see. So I, my background is as for the last 25 years or more, I'd have to count, I've been a physical therapist. Um, and I kind of came to that the more traditional route, but didn't last in that traditional route very long because, well, because spirit said otherwise. Um, so I've worked in orthopedics and kind of evolved into craniosacral therapy, myofascial release therapy, all which are whole body approaches. And um, so now I have my own practice. I run an integrative uh, health and wellness practice where I get to work with chronic pain and um, and beyond. So it's been really uh, an adventure. That's my my professional bio, and what I'm passionate about. Oof. <laughs> we got we got time for that. Yes, um, sure I am really passionate about helping people find their inner spark. So my business is called Inner Wisdom Wellness. And I like to call myself an inner wisdom tour guide. I love that. So my role is to really help people find what, what is within themselves that they haven't been able to get to, what might be within themselves that are blocks to them finding their highest self, their deepest self, their most expanded self. Nice. That's incredible. And I'm passionate about... Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing I would say is I'm just passionate about moving. And I mean, that makes sense as a physical therapist, but um, I have been a mover and I guess a shaker since I was probably first out of the womb. My mother would probably agree with that. <laughs> so that has that has fueled a lot of my beginning days. And I'm happy to say kind of brought me back to to where I was in the beginning now, today, many years later. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. What is it about your journey that you feel led you to where you are that you then are able to tap into others and help them find their spark in that same manner? Yeah. So I think that, again, back to when I was a, a young child, I was um, full of energy and full of vitality and moved. And I think the world, there were no edges for me. I, you know, was constantly dancing and moving and expressing myself. And that continued until I was about three, four years old. And I don't really know an event other than kind of life being life came in. I'm, I'm the second of um, four children and my brothers, one, one ahead of me and two below me are, we're all very close in age. So I think there was 
a place of kind of overwhelm in my mom and my dad's life that I, I took on a role. I became a good girl. Um, I didn't ruffle feathers. And that really meant that that big container that I started in got really small so that I could um, toe the line, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that I wasn't the one causing them angst or stress. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of turned back in on myself when I was a young teenager and went through changes that my body went through and to kind of comprehend what that was, I I lost control. You know, the rigid box I put myself in, my body started changing as it does when we're young females in our teenage years. And, um, and I developed an eating disorder. So that was part of my, um, part of my journey. And I, I really own what it gave me, but it really, you know, it was kind of that, that got turned inside on myself, um, which wasn't a healthy outcome. So, so right. finding my way back from that was definitely a number of years and, um, and a return to kind of honoring who I was, the, who I was when I was really young and vibrant. Right. Um, that, and that, you know, again, I can, I can speak to that really, really wholeheartedly, but that was a tough time, you know, to move through. And, um, and it brought me, I think, to a place where I recognized I didn't want to be in that box anymore. And I was really grateful that, that my own inner wisdom gave me the insight that I needed to say, this is not how you want to live the rest of your life. So, I'm not. <laughs> That's awesome. And and that was, you know, when I, yeah, I moved through that. I kind of, you know, moved into the world and explored. I lived out on the West Coast for a while and then decided eventually to go back to school for physical therapy. And, and my dad's background, I know Chelsea knows some of this, of course, but my dad was a psychotherapist. And my dad was um, definitely out of the box as a psychotherapist. He used to talk about energy and he used to talk to his um, partners in his practice and he would talk about energy and they would, you know, they were really progressive for their time, but they would say, what is this energy stuff you are talking about? So, you know, I had an early exposure to it, but at the age when my dad was meditating on a bench in the middle of our living room or reading books that today I adore, Mm-hmm. That was not my thing, but at least I was exposed to it. I was introduced to it. That's incredible. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I love that. Um, I actually have a question for you. What was it as you were yeah. going through um, that period of your eating disorder? What was it that was kind of like the thing that helped you move past it? Was it working with somebody? Was it discovery on your own? Was it a book that you read? Like, how was it that you were that you were able to come to the conclusion? I don't want this to be my my life anymore. But also that you were actually able to make take actionable steps in order to move past that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it, you know, was, was a combo of what you just asked. So I did work with a therapist. Um, you know, I mean, again, my dad is a psychotherapist, so, you know, kind of, I don't know if the right word would be irony, but you know, he really couldn't help me. He was too immersed. He was my, you know, really my mentor, my teacher, but he was not my therapist. And so when I started working with somebody, um, 
I, I can still remember sitting in one of my therapy sessions with the therapist and he said, went into this long diatribe about, you know, when you look at an orange, you know, you think about it as this thing that could, you know, pack on pounds or, you know, change your life so incrementally. You don't just pick it up and eat it for the sheer pleasure of it. And I think there was something that switched for me at that point where I thought, I am giving 110% of my energy to what goes in and out of me. And there is no quality of life with that, right? There is no, I mean, I know that that, that dancing three-year-old was in there, but she wasn't getting a voice and she wasn't getting heard. And I, I think, you know, like the fear tactics had been used, you know, everybody can tell you all the bad things that will happen if you, as if you continue on in this lifestyle, that didn't matter. I needed to find it within myself because again, part of it was looking at myself in the mirror and recognizing I am an incredible radiant being. And I couldn't do that for those years that I went through that. I just wasn't seeing me. Um, So there was a switch that flipped where I thought I have a choice, right? This is the fork in the road. Either I keep going down this path um, and it's going to be a tight controlled world or I shift to a path that's really mine to decide how I want to move through it. And by the love of spirit, I did. So that was the path I ultimately chose. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. Do you feel like this experience was integral for you to be able to connect with your patients experiencing chronic pain and the mental load associated with experiencing chronic pain? Yeah, I do think so. You know, there was a, there was a, period of time between when I I really will say that I kind of chose the second path and I started working as a PT, you know, I actually moved into, I worked in corporate wellness for a number of years. So, you know, again, eating disorder, chronic exerciser, whatever pattern that was. And, and, and through that, I think I found that place of where I could really step into being a, a healer being, you know, um, a support for other people in that way. And, and yes, I mean, the fact that, you know, my, my, um, journey moved through to helping people really get to the depth of what's going on in their body did have a a component of what I was able to do for myself. Yeah, definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. And actually one of the most potent resources for my clients coming in to work with me now um, is a group of psychotherapists who previously worked in, in with an eating disorders population, right? They know what I do. They know how I can hold that container for the people that they work with. And um, it's a really profound place to, to be to support that. Mm-hmm. Being somebody who also works heavily in that chronic pain population, I find that there are a lot of times that patients want to come in and they think it's, they think it's like a, a tissue problem. They're like, you know, I need a stretcher, I need a strengthener, I need the manual therapy, or I, I need the treatment done. And I find that it's it's a lot of conversations about, you know, helping them to recognize that while their body is still having a very real painful response to what's happening, the actual structural tissue problem is not really the thing that's the problem anymore. And that is that remembered pathway of what's going on and how in order for them to kind of get to a place where they want to get to, 
it's usually going to be a multifactorial approach and there's usually going to be multiple practitioners involved with that. How do you go about, yeah. do you, A, do you have that type of a conversation? Do you find that practice in the same way for Like that's how it works in your practice as well. And if so, kind of who are the people, who are the other practitioners that you tend to lean on to bring into that team to help people get all the way there? And how do you talk to your patients about why, like, like why these other practitioners are important to the team? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, a couple of layers of that for me. One, just as I said, I have a lot of referrals that come through from other practitioners so that they have clients who are doing the psychotherapy side of things. And the psychotherapist recognizes there's not a connection with the body that would, with that person's body, that they really need to come home to themselves in that way. So it's perfect. Those are the, you know, I always say those are really perfect um, referrals to, to what I do because they have that support. And, and it's, it's interesting. I have a couple of them right now and I love that they set up their appointments so that they see me and then they talk, they meet with their talk therapist. And it's just so, because we've, you know, we've been in the body, we've been, you know, really um, noticing things that the mind is really masterful at not noticing, right? Don't pay attention to uh, that really uncomfortable place. And the body takes me there. We sit and work with that. And then they get on their, you know, therapy session. And it's just so profound. Um, But I also have a lot of other, you know, pool of practitioners. I actually work inside of an acupuncture clinic. So I have an acupuncturist um, that I am very close to and we, you know, cross referral a lot. I also have a massage therapist. So, you know, a little different um, nuance. And, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I didn't mention earlier, but I work as a coach as well. And that's another place where, you know, I'm really um, passionate about finding people a right connection, maybe outside of that medical side of things that gives them an ability to walk that journey differently than maybe I do as their PT. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I I call in the the mental health professional a lot. You know, it's it's one of those things where I kind of tell people like I can I can help you put the band-aid on the problem. I can help bring you back into the body and feel the things that are going mm-hmm. on. But if the stress response is what's what's exacerbating this pain, then we need somebody who's going to be able to help manage that side of things, whether it's a mental health professional, a coach, an energy worker, whatever the case may be, but we need somebody on that more cognitive yep. side of things. But it's interesting that you try to match those up together at the same time because I haven't done that before and that actually it seems like such hearing it from you say that it's like oh my gosh that seems like such an obvious thing to do yes of course let's bring them back into the body get them more connected and then go and do that work um so I'm definitely going to uh yeah. I'm definitely going to pick up that little hint that you just had and uh, start utilizing that in my nice. practice please because, do yeah because that's that's yeah incredible because yeah. it's so well, true and I think what happens so often because you know I I mean Again, I often tell my my clients when they come in, I'm not treating a diagnosis, mm-hmm. which, you know, as a PT, you, Allison, can certainly relate to. That's kind of how we're schooled, right? And this person comes in, and we and I used to, you know, I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but I used to refer to, oh, you know, I have this shoulder patient, I have this hip patient, oh, I have this person, this patient with back pain. And I remember being in the clinic early on in my years, and I was like, but they have a name. Why do we not call them their name, right? They're my shoulder patient. Like, so that identity with a diagnosis was, was 
part of what I had to let go of when I shifted gears. And so I always tell my people, you know, I'm, I'm going to treat what shows up when I'm working with you in the body, not what, you know, you, we become so attached to that. What's so fascinating to what we were just saying about working with a mental health professional is that, you know, I'll be in a place, something will come up for that person and they'll say, oh, but I, I thought I dealt with, you know, the, whatever the, it might be related to you know, an old injury or a verbal, you know, abuse situation, for example, and it comes up in the tissues. And then they will say, but I thought I worked through that in therapy. I'm like, oh, no, your mind has done a great job, right? It has kept you safe. You are here. We are working on this. And your body has been holding a different story. And that's what's showing up right now. And I think it's just really helping them make peace with, I thought I was done with that maybe part of you was Mm -hmm. (laughs) not all of you definitely not all of you yeah I love that because I think that it's really really hard for people to understand that the body holds on to things Mm -hmm. that like I think a lot of people think that the experience happens only in their mind and in their heart Mm -hmm. but it's like no like that tension you're holding in your pelvic floor that tension you're holding in your jaw that tension you're holding in your back is coming from a thing your body is responding as if that assault is still happening on a regular basis and so I think that's awesome that you're able exactly to, to use your clinical skills in order to find these areas um you mentioned craniosacral therapy yep, yep. and you mentioned myofascial work. Can you describe a little bit of, in kind of like a layman's terms um, for people that are listening to understand mm-hmm. a little bit about like what actually is that? Because I think that those are two areas of manual therapy that people kind of think are a little bit potentially like woo woo, a little bit made up, a little bit crazy. Woo-woo. Like how, how can <laughs> yeah. people, how can you actually feel this? And I'm not going to lie. Like I don't do craniosacral therapy, but I do a lot of myofascial work and it is hard to describe to people what it feels like I I recognize that I sound like a crazy person when I'm like I feel like I'm inside your body and I can feel things moving and I know like I feel like I'm just being taken on a journey through your body and your body is telling me where it needs to go I know I sound like a crazy person but when they feel it they're like, oh, I get it now, you know? <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Most yeah. wonderful. So how do you yeah, handle I that mean, conversation? I, I do. I spend a, yeah. I, yeah. The first thing I always tell my, the people when I see them for the first time and I kind of introduce like what it is, you know, I was asked, what do you know about what I do? And, you know, it depends on where they came from, what they do. And I, I will go pretty heavily into the educating of the fascial system um, you know, that we have this three-dimensional continuous structure, you know, kind of referred to as connective tissue, but it's throughout the body. So I will often say, if I just laid your fascial system out on the table in my treatment room, um, it would be a pretty well-defined image of you. And then we would plug in other structures, your bones, your organs, right, your muscles, but all the way down to the very depths of who and what you are is fascia. And so, you know, our nerves are 50 to 90% fascia, our, um, you know, our organs are all encased in this beautiful intelligent system. And I will say, you know, because of that interconnectedness, you don't just have arm fascia, you don't have, you know, head fascia, it's all connected. So I could do, I could work at your, from your little toe and, and try to impact your jaw pain because there is a connection there, but I'm going to be more effective if I come more directly at that. 
Um, and the other part that, again, sometimes takes some education around this whole body system that I'm working in is I'll say, I'll talk about what's called the fascial, fascial voice. So it's this expression of their unique patterns of dysfunction, restriction, you know, kind of connection. So if I'm working on somebody's um, like pelvic diaphragm, the fascia within the pelvic cavity, and they start to develop headache pain, that's their body telling me a really potent amount of information. And then, you know, the question usually comes from them, well, why? Why is that creating headache pain? Well, that's what we're going to find out. So I think the thing in, in both craniosacral myofascial release, which are, you know, kind of two entities on themselves, but both very holistic, right? We're looking at this interplay of fascia and uh, the kind of semi-hydraulic pump of our craniosacral system, what, where we produce our fluid, runs through the, the spinal cord, bays our nerves, comes back up, and it creates this beautiful rhythm. And a lot of my clients, when they get on the table and I'll kind of hold areas, they can feel right along with me and I can, you know, kind of help them tune in to that, which is kind of like figuring out that there was an entire continent you didn't know about yourself, right? Like it's just such a rich understanding when they have somebody um, that will, you know, be able to kind of help define that for them. And trust me, I, I don't know if you get this, Allison or Chelsea, but um, I have a lot of people say, you look so normal for what you do. <laughs> I'm still not sure what that means, <laughs> but I'm not sure what I was supposed to look like, but I, I laugh every time. You look so normal. Okay, great. <laughs> Chelsea and I were literally just talking about this this morning. We were just, we have a mutual client turned friend and Chelsea was hanging out with them and her partner was there and was like they were just talking about how like she didn't look like what they expected her to look like <laughs> with the pentacles surprise you, you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. absolutely you know what I'm like trust me there are no blood sacrifices happening <laughs> yeah it's so funny so yeah I mean that's kind of the you know when we work in that system and and what I tell people and I always think this is interesting the the looks I get when I say you know, I'm going to start as a PT, I'm going to look at your posture, we're going to look at all these other movement pieces. And then we're going to lay down and start to kind of, you know, see what your system is saying. And I say, I'm going to tell you as much as I can about your system and what it's telling me and what information I'm getting. Because there's no gain if you walk out and I just hold all the secrets that your body just told me. And it's so amazing to have them, you know, as I share things that are coming up, and I'll say, well, this is what's coming through is that and, you know, you watch their eyes get big. And it's, and I said, you know, I had to spend a lot of years literally walking around. I probably could have gotten a tattoo that said trust because that part of me that wanted to doubt everything I was feeling or everything that was coming through, it was insane how often I'd get to the end of the day and be like, I can't do that. That's not me. And it's not me. I'm just a portal. Mm -hmm. But I was, I'm willing to be open and hold that space where, well, again, I'm, I'm looking at two of you saying it's magic happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just it happens. Does. We don't, I, right. So, um, I just get out of the way and let it happen, I guess is probably the best thing I can do some of the time. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think that's very helpful to hear a different perspective on that because I feel like when you're, I don't, I think there's more of us doing this type of work now than there was 
5, 10, 15 years ago. But it's not yeah. like this is what is being taught yeah. in PT school. This is not the standard of how people are treating people. Um, and so it does, it can kind of feel like a lonely island sometimes. So just hearing somebody else kind of say, hey, this is my terminology. This is how we go about it. It's like, okay, so when I have the person and I'm trying to describe it, yeah. I'm going about all the ways I can go about it. And I'm still getting that like glossy eyed kind of skeptical, like, what are you saying? <laughs> now I can be like, okay, let's try this other approach to this conversation. Conversation. So I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you, yeah, right. You have to figure out what their language is. Well, I'll share with you a story. I just yesterday I treated a, a one week old baby who was born breech, but vaginal breech delivery. And so the mom, um, you know, three different practitioners, the midwife, the acupuncturist that this, the mom knows and the chiropractor that the mom knows all said, get her in for craniosacral therapy, get her in for craniosacral therapy. So fortunately she and I had already known each other. So it was an easy you know, thing to like day two of, of this little girl's life. She was like, can I get her in? So yesterday I had this one week old baby. So, so, you know, when you think people are like, oh, I'm so good at convincing you that what I'm feeling is actually true. You can't do that with a one week old baby. And so this, so I started working this tiny, amazing being guided me to her neck and her head. And within like seconds of being on her head and neck, her entire back end her, and her mom was sitting across from me at the table and was like, she said, I think that's the position she came out in. So I just guided her and this, she just unwound herself in the most incredible way. And, and the mom said to me, you you can't make her do that, can you? I said, nope. I also can't make you do it. But we in our heads think, uh, Jean's so good, she convinced me to unwind, for example. I'm like, yeah, this little baby didn't know anything. She didn't get the memo. <laughs> said, this is the movement you should make upon laying on the table. Nope. She just knew the wisdom of her body, her own beautiful inner wisdom, knew what she needed. And the mom within like five minutes said, she was on her, the baby was on her back as I was treating her. And she said, she doesn't like laying on her back. And I said, oh, okay. And we just, and I said, well, if she fusses, we'll adjust. I'm well-versed at, you know, making lots of adjustments. She stayed the entire time. I treated this baby for an hour and we didn't, I mean, I would, didn't have to, but she was doing exactly what she needed. And she stayed on her back and the mom was just like blown away. It was amazing. That's but that's a point of like, if you think you're convincing somebody, I didn't convince that one week old baby. No, <laughs> no, no I've, way. I find myself trying to be careful about my, like not being suggestive in my language. Cause I know what I'm feeling, you know, like I don't need to convince you that I felt what I felt. Sure. What I'm trying to figure out is, did you feel what just happened here? You know? And so there's so many times, which I'm sure you've noticed this as well, especially people experiencing chronic pain have just such like shut off that connection within their body. It's like it was a, a light switch. Just boom, it's done. That part of me does not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And any yeah. slight sensation they experience, just they don't even pick up on it. And so trying to right. get them to just notice, hey, there was a shift here stuff moved did you feel that it moved like I, that is something I, I really try not to give leading language and still get them to pay attention it's it's a hard line to to walk but I love the story about yeah, the one week I totally agree I think the 
the funniest thing that often happens is like you use the word notice. That is my one of my favorite words is when I'm working in so, with somebody's tissues is what are you noticing? And the the to what you were just saying is the the often I'll they'll say, Well, I think I feel. I said, No, it's okay, you don't have to think, just feel. Like even that languaging is so potent because we're so automatic to think about feeling no it's okay don't think just feel and that sometimes takes people a while to get to yeah right like I, I don't even know what she's asking me to do and I'll say I'm patient we'll just wait we don't need to hurry anything the body is doing exactly what it needs you come right on in you know I can always get them to feel my hands on them which is also helpful like what does that feel like but it's uh, time and time again I think I feel oh I think what I would feel oh just feel Go ahead and just feel. I like that. And, I, I'll and, hear them say yep, that. And I'm, just feel. I'm like, you know, if you think you feel something, you feel it. Uh, assume that that's accurate. Yeah. Don't be looking for it. Just assume that that's accurate yeah, that's right. and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I say that yeah. so often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you feel, you feel it. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> Ridiculous. My goodness. This is I, incredible. I love yeah. this so much. That story is incredible. But the one week old, like, oh wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, so I want to touch a little bit about your childhood and, and, and talk a little bit about the dynamic with having your father being a psychotherapist and you being one with the woo and how that really, um, how it was handled, how it was fostered and cultivated and, and how that progressed throughout your life as well. If you are comfortable talking about that, we would love to hear about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love... I'd love to. Um, so, you know, before my dad was a psychotherapist, he was a journalist. He actually did sports journalism and then went back to school. But in the time when I was quite little, you know, just barely old enough to talk, um, my dad would sit with us again. You know, I'm old enough where we didn't have computers. We didn't have anything but, a you know, an old tape recorder, you know, push the button and, and record on that little cassette tape or a piece of paper. And and so many of my the conversations when I was a young, very you know exuberant little girl were around recording. But he would sit and on his typewriter again, just to date it. Um, he would type on his typewriter the things that would come out of my mouth. And so I have somewhere in my files um, this this particular experience where I was telling my dad who was in the room with us. Now. A human, it was just my dad and I, but the room was completely full of other incredible beings whom I could name without question. So that was really, and I think, you know, I have an older brother. I was probably, I'm thinking around two when this started and my dad didn't, didn't push it down. He recorded it and then um, kind of, you know, stayed with it. And I think it was just a really, my dad was a creative genius, and he he had a really good time with these beings that were in the room with us. And eventually, you know, it's kind of the, the way that one would describe them, they were imaginary friends. So that which I wasn't, I wasn't a good or a bad, it just was what they referred to them. And as I moved through my, my childhood, I mean, I don't know if some of them went and, you know, took a trip somewhere else because there, but there were two that really stayed with me that were Sapi and Coco, the witch dog. Uh So I had these two um, beautiful spiritual beings that were always with me. And I mean, it was kind of part of the conversation, you know, where, where were they in the house? My mom would ask and, 
And so I feel really blessed that they just kind of went with it. They didn't, you know, squash it. But again, as I, as my life changed, I, well, I guess I, there was a wall that got put up and it wasn't until, I don't know, somewhere along the last couple decades of journey where I started to learn more along the path of what I do. I really recognized that those were spirit guides certainly Sipi and Coco were and I just was clearly supported in a way that when I was young I could name and um so part of it is kind of that journey back around to finding that deeper connection and knowing that um I'm never alone right I mean my my support is right available to me at any point in time so yeah that that was certainly a big piece of of my, my young journey. <laughs> Did you feel like Sapi and Coco came with you everywhere or they, were they only in your home? Like what did you remember anything about that? Yeah, I think they would come along sometimes. And I think that they, um, I kind of feel like there was a sense of them with me more than there wasn't. It wasn't necessarily that I, you know, like I didn't set the table for them or make space in the car necessarily because they didn't need that. So that wasn't a big deal, but I definitely, you know, and again, because my dad was a, a journalist, he was a storyteller, you know, he would ask occasionally, he would ask about them and he would, you know, want to know. And certainly when I was quite young, I didn't hesitate to tell him. I knew exactly right. what they were up to most every time. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love that. I, I do. I love that. I love that your dad was so receiving of it and how you can identify that even though you did have a, a container that was open, that you still had to adjust for society in school and, 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 and whatever else happened that created that wall for you. Um, I, I think that that's just so powerful because so many people don't have that container for that safety in that space to be able to like continue to express that big vibrant energy that almost sort of goes hand in hand with spirituality. It's like, uh, yeah, like permission to really like take up all of the space that you want, all of the energy, all of the noise, emotion, and, and not, have to convince anybody else about your beliefs because you believe it so strongly yourself. And then as you grow up, you then start to try to convince others, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, my beliefs are coming up against your beliefs. If I believe this strongly and you believe that strongly and those are conflicting, then there has to be a right and wrong, Mm -hmm. right? But there's not. And so I feel like that ability to really carry that belief through your life is, is just so profound. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just so inspired by it. And I feel like you've managed to work it into what you do so seamlessly and really embody that in the work that you do. I know that you have done a lot of, um, like ancestral womb healing and that kind of stuff. Could you touch on that at all? How your spirituality has impacted that work or even like uh, motivated you to do it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I can't even remember how many years ago, but I one of the kind of avenues into what you're referencing is I, I did a, a number of classes in what's called heart-centered therapy. And it's really a voice dialogue of going back into, um, I guess, to start with the, the tagline of, of the first class is assume only love, right? And I think that sums up a lot for me is assume only love. But the idea being that we, we, you know, coming into this human experience, we come in and we've taken on, um, we've inherited certain things from our, our ancestors, you know, eye color, hair color, you look like your dad, you look like your grandpa or your grandma or whatever. Um, and my friend, Alea Chickley, who developed the heart-centered therapy that I studied and eventually assisted many, many times, um, I've been blessed to, to sit in that capacity, but she talks about it as this spiritual emotional virus that we, so we get hair color, we get eye color, and we also inherit things from our ancestral lineage that, you know, came along as well. So perhaps somewhere back in our lineage, so one of our ancestors, who we've likely in this capacity never met, but they're, they made a decision and they cut themselves off from love. And then all the people that came before, or excuse me, after them, then changed the way that they showed up, right? They didn't have that full capacity to love, for example. You know, that ancestor may have had a loss and closed their heart. And that becomes an energy cyst, like an end, you know, it's, it's a blockage for them to really fully embody who and what they are. And that gets passed down in some capacity. And so when I started that work, um, you know, I'm a mom, I have two beautiful daughters who are young adult women who I cherish, but they were little when I started it. And I still remember I'd go to the classes as I was learning this, and it was this great container that felt safe to do it in. And Alea is just incredible at how she can hold this group. And I'd lay down on the table to do my work, but I would think, well, I'm going to do it for my kids. I'm going to do, I'm going to clear this stuff out of my system so that they don't have to have it in theirs. And, you know, somewhere along the line, I figured out that really I get to come home and do it for me. And then the ripples go forward. But it was this really like, you know, the, I don't know what you call it, mom, not mom guilt, but mom, like, well, it's okay to do it if it's for my kids. Right, right. right. But so I did that. I did that work. I continue to use that as a, as a part of what I do when I'm working with people. It's just the most profound thing though, to, to experience, you know, coming through, and clearing those those places that you know our whole ancestral lineage has been blocked around, and I did not know my maternal um, grandparents, but in that course I've worked with them, and certainly um, Chelsea with working with you with the body code things have come through that you know just like to clear that energy around things that are from our ancestors, many of whom we've never met and will not know in this lifetime, but that their decisions and their inabilities carry through in this way with that work. I love that. That's incredible. I love it. And you led right in. So is there an example of some generational energy blockage that we uncovered within the work that we've done together that you could offer the listeners as a, a little, a little tidbit, a little story, a peek behind the curtain? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been nothing short of incredibly profound to work with you in that, in that realm. And again, you know, kind of back to the place where I used to think I had to do that work for somebody else. I'm really at a different place in my life where this is for me. And of course, you know, again, we can all look at each other and say the ripples of who and what we are in the world are big if we let them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really owning that. So in working with you, and it's funny, I think the thing that, that, makes me chuckle and then just kind of like grit my teeth is how how many messages from my my lineages on both sides of you know my mother my father have shown up in our work together and um and to clear that in the way that you so beautifully do is is again just another layer of like I didn't even know that was there but oh my god not carrying that on my shoulders like literally that's a lot of what I've come away from sessions thinking oh my God, I can sit back. I don't have to carry this like backpack of shame. Might be a good way to kind of sum it up. But, you know, it's like the the messages that will often come through in working with you around that is, you know, the the I'm all alone, you know, the the worthiness that, I mean, it's just so funny to be like, "Mm, that again, great. Mm -hmm. Different day, saying Mm -hmm. worry, you know, worthy wound showing up. But because I keep clearing things away, again, it's almost like my container in within myself gets bigger because it can now. Right. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. I love that, that visual that you gave us that being able to like sit back and like not have that on your shoulders Mm -hmm. anymore. What uh, an incredible feeling to be able to obtain after something that is that some people would think is so insignificant. Like mm-hmm. I've had clients who are like, okay, get to my stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't care about the ancestor stuff. Get to my stuff. She's going to listen to this and she's going to laugh because she, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it, it really like, it does. It makes such a difference in how you feel, how you feel about yourself, how you even just show up in the world and the decisions that you make because you yep. don't realize what yep. is what un. Yep that programming is doing. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there, while the, the energy side of things may still feel very abstract to people, you know, it seems kind of, again, along the woo woo line, unless you've actually experienced it and you can say like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is these, are the changes that I've experienced. Um, but like even simply understanding just generational trauma, generational parenting, you know, like, one of my yeah. easiest things that I can I can tell people is like, okay, like our grandparents were like alive during the depression, right? So they grew up in very much a money scarcity and a resource scarcity. And so their generation of kids, the primary thing that they were that they were really trying to parent their kids on was get a good, safe job with insurance and a good paycheck. That equals happiness. If you get a good, safe job with insurance and paycheck, that is happiness, mm-hmm. right? And so then they had these this generation yeah. of kids who is now our parents who instilled in us get a good, safe job with insurance and a good paycheck. Yes. That's what equals happiness. And then we have this entire generation of adults who is like, okay, well, I have a good, safe job with insurance and a good paycheck, and I have my house, and I have the spouse, and I have the kids, and I have the car, and, and everything on paper looks completely correct. However, I'm insanely unhappy. I'm filled and like ravaged by stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. How is this happiness? Right. Well, because of the experience right. that our grandparents had, 
the best way they knew to help their children avoid that same horrifying experience was to teach them what they taught them. And because they were so horrified about going back into that type of experience, they then put that on their own children, our parents, of like, you've got to make sure that you've got this money because it could disappear like that, you know? And so this like whole generation of like multiple generations of scarcity and it's like, okay, well, if you can just look back at that and you can see like, huh, I do have scarcity about around finances and resources. I do feel incredibly like terrified as to what would happen if I lost my job. Like there doesn't feel like there's a lot of other options, you know, or if I do get another job, I have to get a job in the field that I'm currently in. The, uh, the idea of going somewhere else is starting over, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that, in my opinion, comes from a long line of scarcity because we had an entire generation that was just beat down and they didn't like, I don't know that if I was growing up in that generation, I would have done things any differently, but that's like a very tangible way to understand this. But it's like how much of that stuff is happening from the energetic side of things that is still weighing you down. Things that were passed down from grandparent to parent to child over and over and over again from how many generations back that you're just sitting around caring, having no idea. And then when it gets cleared, it's like, oh my gosh, that wasn't even mine. Like, I really, like, honestly, like, I've, I really, like, yeah. why have I cared about that for so long? Mm-hmm. That's not even mine to care about. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. Right. right. Yep. yep. Exactly. exactly. I mean, I think that's the potency, but until we know, we don't know, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's, it's, but you're right. The scarcity, I mean, to that end, the, you know, <clears throat> giving, giving permission to, to really feel joy or happiness, not until you've checked all these other boxes, is that yeah. allowed? And, you know. You can't get, you can't get there. Yeah. Right. People are like, no, I can't just feel joy in the simple thing because I'm so bogged down by making sure I check all the boxes that my parents, my grandparents and everybody before me said were vital to my survival, yeah. not even happiness, not even happiness, but survive, just pure survival. Right. Yep. Yeah, happiness was a luxury that they didn't oh, have. Oh yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, the majority of people did not have that luxury. The right. majority of people were literally trying to survive. Right. right. And like, I get that, but we're in a very different world now where we actually have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to thrive and be happy and show the rest of the world how they can do that. And then we can, you know, the, what, rising tide raises all ships. Rising tide lifts all ships. Is that what she says? We can do that, you know, we can do that now. Like some of the generational, um, the energetic generational stuff that like I had gotten passed down from my mom's mom's side Mm -hmm. and I love my mom's mom. My grandma was one of the most incredible humans I've ever met in my entire life. And she was like, she ran a beauty salon out of her home. She took care of her like invalid in-laws. She took care of her alcoholic sister. They would go to her house like at once a week to like clean up her house. She, she like, I mean, had five kids that she raised and like, and this was back at a time where you like, you didn't go and buy clothes. You didn't like really go to the grocery store. You made all your own food. You grew your own food. Like she had a hard life. And this woman was incredible. And I, she died when I was very young, but I remember her coming over to our house and I always loved when she was there. Cause she would just have just the countertop full of cookies. And she would like sneak me cookie dough and be like, don't tell your mom. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom that one time. And she was like, do you think I honestly didn't know that she was giving, she like, obviously I know she was giving you a cookie dough. And I was like, well, it still felt like the special little secret we had. Um, 
She was a woman who, she was a woman who, um, she, um, beat breast cancer in the eighties where people didn't do that, you know? And then she ended up passing, um, she had, um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and she passed in, um, the 1990s. But the thing with my grandma was that she never sat down. She never sat down. She was always doing, always busy, always do, getting everything done, taking care of every other person. And it was, you know, the kind of the standard of this is how the mom acts, you know? And so then my mom and her sisters yeah. acted that way. And then I act that way. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting when one of the things was like um, that I was passed down is you'll never be able to do enough. That was one of the generational curses that were passed down from my line. And I was like, if that doesn't resonate so insanely strong, the guilt and shame for a long time, for a long time, I genuinely thought at my deepest core, I was a lazy person because all I ever wanted to do was to get everything done so I could just rest because you don't earn rest until everything else is done. And so it was like, that totally makes sense. Like, I would love to sit down and just watch old British TV. That would be amazing to me, but I don't deserve it because there's that laundry to do. I don't deserve it because I haven't written that blog post yet or whatever the case may be. And it was like, gosh, that's not even mine to carry. Like, who even knows how far down that was? Like, oh, my heavens. So when I was able to, like, drop that, I'm telling you, within a couple weeks, I was just like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rest here. Like, cause there's still like the patterns you have to break, you know, but the drive to want to act that way. Yeah. The patterns are deep and I still have to work at those and be like, no, you're allowing yourself to rest so that you can function and do the things you want to do. But that like deep drive Mm -hmm. of like the guilt and shame and laziness, Mm -hmm. quote, laziness of sitting there and doing quote, nothing. Um, that part wasn't there anymore. And so it's just, it's all very, very interesting stuff. And again, you don't, until you give it a try, it just, it, you don't get it. And we sound like crazy people. Oh. We know we sound crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> so I, I just have to share the story and I'll make it as brief as possible. But years ago, I was assisting this heart center therapy class and I wasn't in the class, but I was taking, I mean, I was assisting it. So I, I had to partner up and we did a session. And um, the quick backstory is we had adopted these two cats. They were fairly young kittens. And the one had a very intensely wired nervous system. Her mother had distemper when she was in utero. But so she had this like kind of a balancey. I mean, we have her, she's like 20 years old and we still have this cat. So she's lived a long, beautiful life. But in the early days, she was very, very finicky. And she would only connect with my older daughter, um, and like, we just, we just kind of gave her a wide berth of energy. So fast forward, I'm in this class, we've had this cat a couple of months and I'm, and in, in the heart centered therapy, you know, you, you close your eyes, you're giving something eyes and without going into the detail, I see these eyes of the cat. So in my head, my mind says, well, it's the, it's Ellie's cat. It must be, um, about Ellie. So I do this session and I'm, and I go through the whole thing. And then I go home. I've been gone for four days. I go home. I'm sitting down that evening. My kids are young and they've gone to bed now. And I'm going through the pile of mail after being gone for a while. And this cat, her name is Precious. Precious comes to the foot of where I'm sitting and has never wanted anything to do with my husband and I. And he's sitting across from me in the family room and I'm just going through there. And he said, honey, I think the cat wants to get on your lap. 
And I said, no, she doesn't. And I keep going through and she starts, you know, getting a little closer. And so I take the male op and she jumps up on my lap, curls around and sits down. Never had she done this before. So what came to me after I, I've, I was, again, my little naysayer was like, this can't be actually anything to do with a session I just did, you know, hours ago, but I'll roll with it. So I tell my husband, who's very loving and supportive, and he's like, whatever. And, this, and after about five days of being home, he's like, tell me again what you did. And so I walked him through the session that I had done in this partnership in class. And he's like, I think the cat got the memo. So it's kind of like the one week old baby we were talking about. I said, well, you really think so? And so it's one thing for me, who's kind of immersed myself in this world. But my husband, after a few days, is like, what happened to our cat? Like, <laughs> it's incredible. So I love that that ha- I love that was a there was such a gift for me because now kind of what we were speaking to before where people are thinking it's a little woo woo but they're kind of you know there's that part of them that's really hoping they can kind of you know embrace it uh-huh. and I tell them the cat story and they're they're like wait what? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, my cat didn't get the memo. My cat didn't get any indication that my energy had shifted. Something vibrationally within me was different and now gave that cat permission to connect with me mm-hmm. and ultimately with others in our family who she had not really had any interest in being a part of. Again, she is a completely, if you'd known her then and you know her now, you would not even know this was the same cat other than she looks the same because she really understood something had shifted energetically without reading it or me telling her because I don't think she understands my English. She just <laughs> knows I feed her, but, um, but it's a great story, right? That yeah, like, what is actually possible to, when we step into really more of who and what we are energetically. So yeah, it's incredible. Well, the energy, I mean, Chelsea and I are obviously really huge into this and Chelsea has definitely a deeper connection to it than I do. I'm more of a, um, fangirl I should say um and so but it's incredible (laughs) like I'm like man I wish I could do that um but it's like I mean Chelsea works with us for our dog because like she was she was a rescue she was found on the side of the road and sometimes she'll go through these periods of very erratic behavior where I'm just like could you just chill Could you just stop being so dang needy for a second? You're not even my dog. You are here for my son. Go find your boy. I'm not interested. I have enough like to do as it is that I don't need one more needy being asking for my attention. And she'll just be like, like up my butt, like following me around the entire house. I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. You are worse than a toddler. Like get away from me. And then we'll work with Chelsea and she's like, oh, well, and like labels all the things that's going on. And then we clear all that. And she's like, you know, she's still, <laughs> there's still the processing period where she's figuring out. But then like less than a week later, she's just like, I walk out, I walk in and she's just like, we'll kind of come over and sit down and then I'll pet her. And then she's like, all right, I'm good. And then she'll go lay down again. And I'm like, Ugh. so whenever she's like erratic, I'm like, Chels, I need to fix Emma again. I don't know what happened. She's being crazy. So. <laughs> she's like, she's being needy again. Clear the next layer of whatever's in the way. Yeah, she's being needy. Please get her taken care of again. Um, because, like, when she gets agitated, she starts... Um, they know, yeah, there's something going on with her. Because, like, she'll get agitated. She starts chewing on hardback books, um, which means that, like, 
she'll just and she'll pull them off the bookcase she will chew up any clothing that's on the floor like anything that has a scent to it but she'll only chew out like she'll chew out like the crotch of underwear or of shorts um or like the heels of the of the socks like anything that has a scent to it (laughs) and like really what her issue predominantly is is protective oh yeah like super protective i say tell the sleepwalking story Oh, where she was started guarding the stairs. No. Or uh, which one? With with Aria, she like wouldn't she wouldn't leave the hallway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So my kiddos sleepwalk, and so um, we have to have a gate at the top I of the did. stairs. Did you? Um, we have a my my second and my third sleepwalk, and so they um, we have a gate at the top of the stairs to make sure that like because we have found mm-hmm. my son like curled up in a ball at the top of the stairs before and he did not know how he got there and so it's like okay we need to like keep everybody safe yeah. um and my older son emma is is his dog um kind of like a support dog for him and so every single night she sleeps in his room sleeps up on his bed snuggled up at the bottom of the bed like they are best friends she, he gets up in the morning and she just follows him around like they are inseparable Unless I'm awake, in which case she is attached to my side. Um, so, yeah. but um, she always, always is sleeping in Tanner's room. And this one night, she like wouldn't come in the room, wouldn't come in the room. And Tanner's just getting upset. He's like, Mom, I just want to go to bed and Emma won't come with me. I'm like, just leave your door open. She'll come in when she's ready. There's something bothering her, obviously. She'll go in there eventually. And then, so she just decided to like stay in the hall. And then, sure enough, Aria got up and was delirious and didn't know what was going on. It was Aria, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't know what was going on. And so we we went and we got her. And she's kind of a little bit of a brat when she sleepwalks. Like, she won't go downstairs, <laughs> but she has the dexterity <laughs> to, like, open the gate. So it's like she'll just kind of, like, open the gate and, like, leave it open and be like, have fun, Luke. Peace out. Like, it's like, what are you doing here? Like, she's just kind of a little bit of a stinker when she's like, she's just not really with it. But anyway, so we find her and, you know, we kind of, we get her kind of back into her bedroom and get her situated. And then she kind of calmed back down. She went back to sleep and everything like that. And then Emma just gets up and walks back into Tanner's room and was done. It was like, nope, I needed to protect the hall. I needed to make sure she was okay. I could tell she was off. She yes. There was something going on with her. And so, like, once Ari was back in bed and was settled yep. and good for the night, then Emma was like, all right, peace, I'm out. I'm going over to Tanner's room now. And I was just like, okay. Aww. So now I try not to fight it too much. It's just yep. if she just gets in that, like, barking in my face and she wants attention, I'm like, Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea, do something with Emma. She's driving me crazy. Yep. <laughs> Take this over, Chelsea. <laughs> Clear whatever's in the way there. Yes. Emergency That's appointment, awesome. please. <laughs> Before I open the front door and just let her outside on her own, <laughs> take care of my son's dog, please. Oh, she's such a sweetie. She's actually an incredibly good dog. She's very protective. She's very sweet. And um, she's, a, she's a very good dog. And and Tanner's done a great, an amazing job taking care of her. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't fuss when it's time to go out and walk her. Like, it's 20 degrees outside, but she needs a walk. So he'll, like, bundle up and he'll go do it. And so, yeah, he does a really good job taking care of her. And I try not to be too grumpy because I know that he takes it personally. If she did something bad, it was, like, his fault. He should have trained her better. And it's like, no, you were 10 when we got this dog. You did a great job. So, but anyway. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's cool to see the energy stuff on, like, beings who can't 
verbally speak to us and you can see a change in their behavior that it's like, okay, this is it. Because I'm sure it's actually not doing anything different. It's not like I'm sitting here with treats and training you and doing all the things because let's be real, I ain't got time for that. No, 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 I'm not doing it. Yeah. Talk about your your great teachers. There they are. Because like I said, that's just, can't make that stuff up. I cannot convince a four-legged beautiful being to do whatever it is I think is right. They're going to do what they pick right. up in the energy for sure. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been incredible. This has been incredible. Jean, we love everything you've shared with us. Do you mind sharing how people can find you? Cause, cause you are able to work across state lines, correct? With coaching and stuff. Uh, with coaching. Yes. Yep. So I mean, I'm a physical therapist in the state of Minnesota, but beyond that, I do other, you know, things that are, that are, yep. So I am, um, my, my company is inner wisdom wellness. So my website is inner wisdom wellness, MN as in the state of Minnesota, um, at, uh, dot com. So you can find me there. Um, I don't have a big social media presence. That's not been, you know, so I, I can't give you a lot of that because I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't, and it, it's, you know, not, not where I shine. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We will definitely, um, we'll link your website below. And then once we get off, what I would love to do is to get the information of, um, the heart centered care, the woman who you learned that from, uh, because I think that'd be really interesting to be able to learn more and maybe we can link her information below as well, just so that people can find that for those who are interested. Does that have to be in person or is there a virtual option for learning that? No, um, she actually does most of that remotely now. So she's, you know, during the last couple of years has traveled. So there is, some, she does some in-person classes, but she also offers that on a, um, a Zoom option. So yeah, and even that work can be done on a phone. So it's, you know, it's something that, that can be easily done. Um, the other thing I do is called um, Healing from the Core. And that's also another program that's kind of, you know, works with the, the the embodiment state of what we're talking about with all of this so that's another probably really good resource to share with people as well and i can definitely get you that absolutely yeah we'll definitely get those from you because i think there's even even like just regular people who aren't in healthcare are probably would be very interested in that but definitely any healthcare practitioners who are listening to this who want to bring more to their practice um, a great way to help connect and understand what we're feeling and, and seeing within the body, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share that stuff. Great. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you again so much for sharing your, your beautiful wisdom with regards to your childhood and into adulthood and how you've been able to integrate all of those amazing experiences into your practice, helping people with chronic pain and using some less than traditional methods that should be more traditional, um, in, in helping people with that for anybody who is listening. If you are interested in learning a little bit more on how to kind of bring yourself back into your body, understanding that physical manifestation of the emotional symptoms, how you can start to recognize those physical changes within your body as you're feeling those emotions. Chelsea and I are doing a seminar together. If you're in the Columbus area on April 8th, um, from noon to three, mm-hmm. and then we're doing a happy hour afterwards. You can come hang out. It'll be so much fun, but we are keeping the group very small in order to have a nice, um, comfortable, small container and not feel like anybody 
is on display in a big group or anything like that. Um, if you like what you've been hearing, if you're enjoying um, the stuff that Chelsea and I talk about and the amazing, incredible experts that we bring in to kind of talk about these alternative ways to really get the deep healing, please feel free to share this with people. We really just want to kind of better our entire community and help people kind of find the fact that there are different ways outside of what we are told is going to help us and that these alternative ways are really the way that we're going to find deep healing and really find that life that we've been looking for. So please, please share this with anybody who you know could use a listen and we hope everybody has an absolutely fantastic week. Thanks for tuning in to another inspiring episode. Please check out the show notes below for links and resources mentioned in this interview and check us out on social media for more information about Chelsea and Allison's upcoming seminar, Understanding the Body's Language. If you've enjoyed listening today, remember to like and subscribe for new releases every Friday. Until next time, this has been the healing art of being you, sending you off with love and light.